remember a time of chaos, ruined dreams, this wasted land. But most of all, I remember the road warrior, the man we called Max. To understand who he was, you have to go back to another time, when the world was powered by the black fuel and the desert sprouted great cities of pipe and steel. Hello everybody, welcome to episode 94 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing 1981's The Road Warrior, a.k.a. Mad Max 2, a.k.a. Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior. Um, before we get into the discussion, though, Thomas, will you read for us the IMDb synopsis? Yeah, absolutely. The Road Warrior, 1981, rated R. In the post-apocalyptic Australian wasteland, a cynical drifter agrees to help a small, gasoline-rich community escape a horde of bandits. So yeah, directed by George Miller. So yeah, we're, we're continuing our coverage of the Mad Max franchise with the mm. powerhouse, the Road Warrior. So Daniel, uh, you said this is one of your favorites. What do you think of Road Warrior upon rewatch? Uh, it's just, so I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I've probably seen it like four or five times. Nice. Um, some uh, oh, first off, let's just talk about the fucking Road Warrior. <laughs> 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 like this is when so when we think of Mad Max this is kind of what we're thinking of. This is the movie that like defined the aesthetic, defined the feel of Mad Max. It's kicked off uh, Mad Max Ploitation, or Max Ploitation, I believe, yeah. um, which is just like a series of vehicle, leather, post-apocalyptic, uh, or, you know, society falling apart um, movies. And yeah, like I remember I remember watching that first Mad Max movie for the first time and just being kind of confused because it's like, it's not just, it's, they call it dystopian, but it's not post-apocalyptic. It kind of just feels like, you know, a rough, a rough area. It's like deliverance level dystopia. Like there's still courts, there's still police officers. And so now we are, (laughs) we are dealing with like society has fallen apart. Uh, We have tribes of people uh, fighting for gasoline, fighting for... I don't think they're really fighting for water in this one, but uh, I might just be thinking of Turbo Kid. But um, yeah, definitely fighting for resources, trying to protect their own people, and it's just lawlessness. Um, and so, yeah, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, I fucking love this movie. Like, it, it, it's refreshing. Like, I, I liked the Muppet movies, but it is refreshing <laughs> putting on a movie and knowing, like, fuck yeah, I'm about to watch something i love (laughs) it's something i really enjoy yeah um Um, if we're also talking about um just road warrior influence things uh if you're a fan of the fallout game series then you and if you haven't seen the road warrior i would highly recommend you go back and watch it because uh the fallout series uh draws heavily from i think this film specifically is the one where like we have like yeah that specific fashion choices some of like the weapons and like yeah like the like a arm arrow and like the magnum with the scope is like all these just like like sort of hobble together <laughs> really dangerous weapons it's very uh, the define fallout series in a really particular way but yeah also just the, the setting as well but yeah yeah just sort of like wild feral people in the desert um just yeah full of covered in scrap basically um yeah i mean well yeah what are your thoughts on mad max yeah this is a, a strange one because i love this movie i haven't seen it as many times as, as you have um but i forget how much of this movie i really enjoy and yeah there is just such a great rhythm going on uh in the first like three quarters of this movie where at sometimes i think it's like it feels slow but it like it tricks me into thinking that and then like something really like gnarly will happen something very violent will happen and I don't know, just the the way that they sort of like yeah paint this world with this really grim like monologue at the beginning to sort of set this off mm-hmm. as like it's just set it, like we get little bits clips of the first movie, but it's very much like explaining that okay this is a, a big step into this other direction and yeah like the way that um, 
the person narrating, we will find out who it is later in the film, it's later revealed who this person is, but the person speaking is speaking in a very, like, proper way. They're kind of describing, like, the way that they're wording everything has a lot of weight to it, where they're saying, like, we we don't even know what the fight was about. We just know that it was two major tribes, mm-hmm. and, like, they were fighting to the point where, like, we just, like, it's just men talking and talking and talking and, like, not no actual progression. And, yeah. like, they're, they're giant machines once they ran out of gasoline. Like, they built this massive glass house. And it's, like, just the way that the person is describing everything as it's, like, this poetic, like, mm-hmm. just is a very distinct language on, like, yeah, this is, like, tailing this tale of, like, a very large period of yeah. time. And it's just, like, yeah, it gets chills when it's doing this, like, huge setup. And then once we finally get onto the road, it's just, like, it's, like, quiet. It's just, like, junk junkyard cars. I appreciate on the streets here, there's much more, like, hazards there. So we'll be, like, doing these really fast car movements, and then we'll turn our uh, lens back to the, the street. And, we'll, oh, yeah, we're actually dodging <laughs> large yeah. broken-down rigs. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a huge step up as soon as it gets going. It's just so yeah. much fun. This, this opening narration is, like, one of my favorite movie openings of all time. Because uh, yeah. it's, like... It feels it's kind of like Blade Runner or Star Wars have they they have these opening crawls. This replaces yes, the opening yeah. crawl with a narration and a montage, and it just gets you up to speed. And it, like even the way that like this poeticism you're talking about, and like this this language, even that is grounded within the world. Even that is lived in. Yeah. Um, like we talk about like Star Wars, how it's this world that feels lived in. Like every character feels like they have a history, and they do. They have this whole <laughs> Wikipedia article or whatever, comic yeah. books and books and all that shit. And so like Mad Max gives a similar vibe where it's like even the narrator has a, like has a history. The narrator yeah. is like knee deep in the world that we are being presented with. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and we will approach spoiler territory, but I think, yeah, talking about it a little bit vaguely right now is nice because, yeah, there is a nice little reveal with all of that um, later on. Yeah, but yeah it, I, it, it's just wild to me that this, like, I had a friend who we took to go see Fury Road, and when we left the theater, they were like, they were like, that's great, like, is it based on something? <laughs> or like, that's <laughs> like the fourth movie in a series. He was like, oh, <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what Mad Max was. Um, but like, uh, it's very cool. <laughs> it kind of, like this kind of feels that way. Like, obviously, this is the second movie. Uh, there is some history here. We see a lot of stuff carried over from the first one. Um, we see clips of him losing his family. He's dug two graves. Uh, he's missing one of his sleeves because he got his arm broken. He's got a uh, sort of a wear, like a leg brace, a knee brace because he was shot in the leg in the previous movie. Yeah. But like you don't necessarily like you can come in blind it is sort of like a soft reboot movie um and it does kind of feel wild that it's not like based on a book or based on a comic book and this isn't an adaptation of anything it just kind of emerged out of george miller's head yeah yeah and i think those things really shine through a lot more in this one because yeah, things are expanding a lot more. So one of, I think one of my favorite things about this is this movie kind of forces you to pay attention in a lot of ways where when he first, he gets like ambushed by this guy and sort of gets the upper hand on him. And once he like, he like drags this guy by chain to this like overpass mm-hmm. who's looking at this society this man has told him about. And so when you're watching it, you're sort of, you just have, have to deduce like what is taking place at this, like you get this big wide shot and there's a lot of just like, action kind of happening and it's very abstract and then when you're watching it's like yeah max is watching these uh these two factions interact but it's kind of unclear exactly what's happening down there you can tell there's conflict and it sort of progresses and you sort of figure things out but yeah it's very color based and like outfit based where the marauders or the berserkers or i forget exactly what they're called but yeah they're just like in the leather daddy bdsm Mm -hmm. violent chap kind of outfits and then these settlers are like they're dressed in white they have all blonde hair they have like these green sashes and just much more colorful and flowy dressed and we sort of team up with them and i don't i I appreciate having that visual distinction that clearly yeah these styles are starting to get more developed and yeah that's sort of how we distinguish who who's on what side and yeah it's, i think that really helps and yeah just like i think we should also talk about the vehicles too because that's like such they like just go all out and once we have our first like big 
like standoff. I, I think this movie just has such a, a strong style to it. When yeah, these forty cars are rolling up, and there's just like some of them have uh, victims strapped to the front yeah. of them, and it's just like so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, it just makes this place feel so much more dangerous. And uh, yeah, there's also this. There's a scene that happens where when he's watching everything where I felt like he could have intervened during something happening but he doesn't and he sort of watches something happen I was wondering what you thought about that well because it's like from the very beginning when he's on the road uh, you know driving people off off the road um, he gets out of the car he's sees Wes and the golden child like over up over the hill and they're having like this kind of stare down there's this sense of danger but he's his mind is focused on the gasoline that is pouring out of this tanker that he needs that he starts collecting in a helmet he's never we we never feel like he is he gets scared he does panic but it's never exaggerated it's always restrained he's always collected and it feels pretty calculated uh we never see him jump for joy like anytime he overcomes some sort of obstacle uh He's pretty restrained, and maybe this is because he is Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, like, I think him on the hill, like, seeing, you know, this violent attack on this couple and not intervening, it is, he is making a calculated move. He is, uh, he, this is a man who has uh, booby-trapped his own vehicle and stuff. He's got a, he, he's got a dog who's his accomplice. He is, yeah. uh, he's a survivor. <laughs> He's surviving out here. He's not going to make stupid, rash decisions. He is, uh, he's looking out for one man himself. And that is how he gets pulled into these, this larger drama is because he has an incentive to do it. Yeah. Also think it speaks to just the, uh, cynicism of him being just this much more into that legend role of just like, at this point who knows how many times this mad max has witnessed something akin to that and have had to go through that process of being like well is is intervention worth whatever that outcome might lead to and how yeah, yeah it's like what's in it in for a, me sort of thing yeah when you're in this uh, uh, in a presumably very vast place with like a lot of people it's just like how many times could you theoretically be that superhero kind of person in that moment and yeah yeah yeah, just the way i like he's not a superhero he is a skilled survivor yeah correct yeah i just like in those and also in that scene where i don't know i appreciate just a lot of the props and how weapons and things are like that using this movie and like he has his little like uh prisoner slash sidekick (laughs) or whatever you want to call him at this moment um the golden child is that uh, no the the gyro oh captain. the gyro captain okay. yeah who sort of yes like chained up or whatever to the stump of wood and so he's mm-hmm. watching the people through binoculars and then the gyro captain pulls out this huge telescope and then he <laughs> looks and then takes the telescope from him and does it and I, I I just like small things like that just are really cool and, and yeah, I like that he's <laughs> he's like kind of a he's a nearly silent protagonist he doesn't have a ton of dialogue in this movie yeah and I feel like with the restrained performance. Um, it is kind of allowing us to, I don't know. Do, do you get a, like a cypher vibe, like like a silent protagonist in a video game, how you're able to kind of like uh, imprint your own feelings onto the character? Do you get that vibe here at all? Yeah, definitely. Maybe. Yeah. Um, also, like we have the introduction of, the sorry, the inclusion of the, the dog, the dog companion, which I think Wonderful. is really great like yeah a nice little addition to this and yeah you mentioned the booby trap of the dog bone tied uh, tied to a string that's on a, the trigger of a shotgun pointing at his face well also the booby trap underneath the back of his car that'll cause it to explode if yeah. someone you know fucks with it so yeah i just love all of those really just gnarly things but yeah what do you think about i, I don't i'm gonna make sure i get the dog's name right too i don't think i is it just dog i don't <laughs> like know if the dog name? has a name yeah um but yeah what do you think of the inclusion of that i think that is used in very clever ways i mean on one hand it's like it kind of so like like we said like i said he's like it's a restrained not totally emotionally driven performance giving him this dog we sort of latch onto that as like, oh, okay, like he's got a tender side. (laughs) Like it is very easy to love a dog. He is protecting this dog. They are friends. 
like giving him an animal companion uh i think mates immediately makes him more uh like we can feel more compassionate for this character totally it's like a very active save the cat mechanism where yeah it's like, exactly it's like we know he's good he has a puppy they're sharing dog food and it's they're, just they're pretty much yeah bros. it's like john wick <laughs> having a dog you know it's like yeah he's a fucking badass who murders a bunch of people but he does it because he loves his dog and so <laughs> <Yeah>. he's good <laughs> yeah. yes <laughs> he definitely has that amazing connection yeah yeah, yeah. i just yeah like i i just and i i appreciate yeah the dog sort of saving him in that moment where he like he isn't quite fully in control and so yeah just ha- having that animal there to help you in mm-hmm. this apocalyptic world is and the dog's very fucking ideal. cool apparently that yeah. dog was from a shelter i read okay yeah i want to say like it was going to be put down like right before they did the movie and then they managed to save it and that was a star yeah it's just like yeah very scraggly very low, just really enjoy it um uh, uh and also we have the, uh, the feral child another kind of companion character um, a character i wasn't really into the first time i saw this movie but i really appreciate uh, him this time a lot more and i think i think it's a nice detail because it is like what would it look like if a child was born into this environment it, yeah. it kind of helps as a world building uh element also yeah and i guess we can kind of get into spoiler territory now since also this this movie is like a little bit older so i think well, well, well real quick speaking yeah. of the frail child one thing it reminded me of is um threads like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what a fucking different nuclear <laughs> apocalypse movie but yeah, like yeah. With threads after the nuclear w- winter we get people speaking like p- people who have been born into this speaking like broken english there has been this breakdown of language and so i think the feral child it's kind of a similar detail to that um which i think is yeah. a really eerily beautiful detail for something like this. that's a good point yeah uh, but yeah go ahead no, this I I think I'm just gonna keep giving accolades to the weapons in this movie because yeah, it's just like it's a sharp boomerang and yeah, just if and someone tries to catch it and their fingers are chopped off in, oh, yeah. in that moment, I just really like that. But yeah, but also the reveal that this child is our narrator after all of these spectacular events is something I really appreciate, and yeah, it sort of ties everything nicely together at the end. Yeah, and I just just love just how the third act plays out and I just really appreciate just just I just really appreciate that reveal I just think that is that makes me just enjoy this movie a whole lot more yeah um what'd you think of our our villains first off Wes the Mohawk man uh yeah like I said like he's kind of has the same vibe of the last movie where it's like there's a little bit of flamboyantness to like the, his performance and his relationship to the I think you said the golden child this kid that sort of hangs mm-hmm. out on the back and yeah I think facially he reminds me of Conan O'Brien a little bit I thought his hmm. yeah the, <laughs> the same like kind of bone structure I feel like that kind of kills his uh inti- how intimidating <laughs> yeah, for me it makes him more intimidating <laughs> it's uh, okay. more unpredictable um but yeah just I don't know just him pulling the arrow out of his arms really just uh emphasizes yeah how just badass and hardcore you sort of have to be to be a survivor in this world and i love that he has like this weird arm mounted crossbow like he has like a the weapon even feels like it's an extension of the setting in a way yeah it's crossbow yeah that's the word i was looking like it's not enough that he it's that he he can't just have a gun he can't have like a spear he's gotta have like an arm mounted crossbow it's fucking cool yeah and i i think i like the fact that yeah there are there's like tiers to kind of how this dynamic works where at the beginning we think he is like um i forget the guy's name from the first one where he sort of has that toe cutter yeah yeah like uh or the knight rider the first guy like he sort of kind of has that role where he's one of the first faces we see out there Mm -hmm. so we don't really know how high up on this totem pole he might be and so yeah when he's being chained up and dragged by like the person above him sort of at the end Mm -hmm. of the movie after he's been uh sort of being uh, after after he's sort of defined orders misbehaving yeah yeah, yeah. He, like i just really it's like okay yeah it's very clear that if you're out of line like there's just going to be someone else above who is going to just be completely in, in control of you and yeah i don't know it, it makes him it makes him scary but yeah the person who's doing that is even more terrifying 
yeah it's cool that he's like sort of like a mini boss character where because like he he comes in not feeling like night rider he comes in feeling like we just took he's he's toe cutter evolved yeah, uh, yeah and so it's like okay we have the big boss of the last movie immediately in this movie and he's gonna be a menace throughout but no there's someone bigger than him yeah in fact his name <laughs> represents how much bigger he is his name's lord humongous yes <laughs> yeah so that also helps yeah our uh our words and our vocabulary are sort of devolving a little bit. Yeah, like our big villain doesn't have a fancy name. He's just humongous. He's just he's just the biggest kid on the playground. What do you think of humongous? Yeah, uh, very intimidating, like on camera presence. Yeah, being doing that kind of leather theme, but even more menacing, which is the fact that it's just like straight just, up fucking bodybuilding. Yeah, it's just like straps. Just a, a large human, <laughs> really ripped person with. It's like, like, where is he getting all this protein? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it, it's, it's it's brutal out there, I, I assume. Um, yeah, and the fencing mask that he has on, is I think that's what it is, like a modified kind of fencing mask, mm. where, yeah, you can't really, you can see his eyes, basically, but yeah, you can't see his mouth, and yeah, just very, very distinct look, and yeah, just... It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, just kind of the rule of cool, where it's like, it just, he, it just looks badass, and he has, like, this crier who goes out and does this big like extravagant introduction for him who like make sure like these he plays a little bit of music and make sure everyone's quiet and listening to him when he's talking and yeah yeah there's like the whole like pageantry of the villain stuff i i don't know i just really appreciate that yeah it's, like, yeah it's interesting to see like what has carried over from civilization like uh what means of operating and stuff like how do they act like what is the culture of this group you know yeah um i love the detail of is it when he's choking Wes out that we see this or is it when he's giving a speech the just walk away speech but like we get shots of the back of his head I think it's when he's choking Wes out Yeah, we get shots of the back of his head we see he has this little thin wisps of hair blowing and he just has this large vein on the back of his head that's pulsing as he's uh, squeezing this man and what what a fucking idea yeah. They're, they're like, yeah, let's shoot this scene, but let's insert shots of this vein on the back of his head. Yeah, very particular <laughs> shot to go back to. It is very important that the audience sees this. Um, yeah. And then also, yeah, another sort of uh, character building detail. He has this this gun that he keeps in a box, and the box has the skull and the Nazi skull and bones on the inside of it, and all of his bullets are lined up, and there's this old photograph. Uh, sort of old family photograph in it and it's like it feels like it's sort of adding to the legend of this man but also adding to the mystery of him where it's like what is his relationship with this stuff is he some sort of ex-military how is he tied to the nazis yeah this gun obviously means something to him (laughs) like there's a lot of questions coming out of this detail yeah i get that shot went by really fast i think i was just more focused on oh yeah i think it (laughs) comes up a couple times okay I've seen it a lot. Gotcha. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Like, just, I think I was more into, yeah, the, that's the Magnum with the scope from Fallout in yeah. Vegas. <laughs> so they actually. <laughs> and it, I think every time he shoots it, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I really also appreciate kind of how things do feel dangerous where there's some movies where cool things will be there, they'll exist. And sometimes you feel like they're either protected or they like are not used in a way where we just want to, I don't know kind of tease us but i think here the cool things are used the cars get used the things are we see them like be effective but also they get taken away and i think i uh you were sort of getting into spoilers even more but yeah i think i love the fact that mad max here he has a dog but the fact that this place is so dangerous that he loses it and like he has like the interceptor but has to sacrifice it to sort of continue his journey on and like there's this really big oil refinery that like is a place where a lot of survivors are able to generate oil and continue to to like make gasoline and that gets destroyed and so i I know just a lot of the things in this movie sort of like they're there and we can appreciate them when they're there but then they like get erased and a lot of that happens for a lot of things in this movie yeah oh i want to talk a little bit about the score yeah so you mentioned earlier that like you, I think you said something along the lines of like it feeling long or maybe you getting kind of worn out by the end no uh, not necessarily I think it feels like it starts off on the slow side and I think that was just oh, more okay. deceptive where I, I 
it got the impression that it felt slow in comparison to the first Mad Max where it just goes into this insane car chase scene at the very beginning, but yeah. then sort of takes a dip as the movie continues. But here, yeah, we sort of start off kind of at this little bit of like a more a slow rate and then it just ramps up and just gets crazier and crazier towards the third act. So I feel like, so yeah, the reason I want to talk about the score is because I feel like this third act, I kind of get exhausted by the third act. Like, we get the, he's in the tanker mm-hmm. and there's a long extended chase scene, the warrior woman on the back and stuff like that. Um, and I kind of lose energy watching the scene. And I think a large part of it is because of the score. The score does this thing where it keeps cutting out and like fading away Hmm, and allowing action to take place just over the roar of these engines and it feels like it's kind of it loses its momentum for me or the momentum is fluctuating which kind of wears me down um and i also watching it i'm not totally sure the decision making of which scenes to give a score versus which scenes to fall away from there are some moments like like um you know, Max loses some shotgun shelves on the front of the truck and the feral child is crawling forward to retrieve them. Yeah, awesome. Uh, the score cuts out. And then as he's going to grab them, Wes jumps up, like yelling. <laughs> and so it's like, all right, I understand cutting out the score to like, you know, help make that, that moment more potent. But like, uh, just repeatedly cutting out, I don't know. That, that It kind of bugged me. And I, I'm curious to know if how, how this scene would feel if it, had a score like Fury Road or something that's just like constant like banging and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know yeah I think it's a little bit more different when yeah we're in like the 2010s yeah we have Junkie XL and we're like yeah. in a post Marvel age so yeah we're getting more like it's like yeah just fucking be like Skrillex just like make that shit go hard <laughs> it's yeah. like just don't let the energy dip down yeah I think maybe because I haven't seen this movie as much as you have that didn't really stick out too much but um I do appreciate the fact that we do get to yeah it's here hear these engines roar just hear just like the scraping of this metal and like and this every gunshot or whatever uh, I, I really appreciate like those quiet I, I call it quiet it's not quiet but those moments where yeah there's just sound no music yeah um, yeah I feel like this movie it's only an hour 36 so yeah. it shouldn't feel long but I I've always had the problem of getting like, kind of worn out by the end yeah. I mean, I guess it's just a lot of fucking movie happening. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that way a little bit, too. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of really great scenes, but yeah, it does sort of ease its way into this this large kind of climactic ending. Um, I wonder, I'm trying to remember correctly, if there's music in the scene where it's like at nighttime, it's all of the marauders that are outside on the the perimeter of the of their uh, their compound, and they're basically out there just like, banging no like making noises and like yeah like just torturing just, guys yeah torture people and just just being just generally it's very very scary and, and intense and so like yeah, I don't know. that's a scene i totally forgot about in this movie that i thought was actually kind of special in hindsight i was like yeah this is a moment where it visually it's doesn't feel like anything else in this movie where it's like we're really far back i think it's like a telescopic lens i, I think i need to call a DP friend to to tell me exactly how it's framed but yeah it's like we're far back we're doing like the like fade ins and the fade outs and it's just like yeah yeah it's very uh, primal visually they're just sort of like quietly terrorizing the entire camp from the distance yeah it's like I know there's a lot of like yeah this humans being like torturous and terrible to other humans which can be really exhausting to like watch but I think the way that it, it was photographed was just like really stunning and just like the orange on the black and I don't know it's things you don't really see much, too much of anymore when now we're in this digital era so it's hard to kind of get that really gritty nighttime film grain where stuff looks like it's I don't know like a very dusty western and I, I think when I when that scene came up while watching this time I was like wow this is like might be my favorite scene in the movie just because it, it just hmm. feels like it's totally out of nowhere totally disconnected but fits in as a nice little segue yeah, there are a few, like, nighttime scenes where it feels like they're really bumping it up. We're getting a lot of, like, grain and stuff. Yeah, like, they yeah. didn't, they didn't, they didn't light these scenes well enough. <laughs> like, you're feeling, like, the, uh, the limitations of the production, 
Um, I think it's like when Max is carrying the gas cans and he has to like hide in yeah. a little ditch and the feral kid makes a distraction. Like every, it's like very murky. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of strange. I don't, but, um, but whatever. It's like, it just, if anything, it adds a little more character to the movie. Because, exactly. Cause it's like, yeah, it's a fucking post-apocalyptic movie. Yeah. Make it feel a little rough around the edges. Don't make it shiny. Yeah. I think I just really appreciate rewatching movies from yeah like the 70s and the 80s where yeah where even though it does show you do see like the seams in the suit a little bit more it's like that's it just looks so gorgeous to, to be out there it's like this it looks bad but it like a, that elevates it and just makes it even more so I don't know. this is something i think i said in the matrix episodes is that like back in the day like 80s action movie in particular uh 80s action movies it felt like a fucking bar, biker bar fight like it felt yeah. dirty and sweaty, um, and then the Matrix happened, and it felt like we've developed this obsession with like sleek and sexy. Everything's got to be smooth. Everyone's got to look super fucking cool, and they yeah. just have, everyone's got to be posing. Uh, and yeah, so this might be like pinnacle dirt <laughs> of yeah. action movies. Yeah, I love like towards the end on this big tanker sequence where one of our guys like catches on fire and then that like, has to like very frantically put himself out and there's a moment where like, oh yeah he's done he's just totally gonna die oh, yeah. but he survives and it's like oh yeah like I don't know just those little moments where he's just like patting himself what? down and playing water. wait how does he survive the tanker crash um, I believe I'm he gets, he gets some water somehow he gets water oh like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what happens to him at the re- when the tanker crashes isn't he on top he is on top. I think he does die, but yeah, but he, he, <laughs> okay. he, like, he survives being caught on fire. <laughs> See, there's still, like, I've seen this plenty of times, but there's still a lot of details that I don't get. So, like, re- on this last rewatch, I was like, wait a minute, like, so Max, obviously he doesn't know that the tanker's full of sand, but were they tricking him from the big, be- like, how long ago did the trick start? Like, was yeah. the... In- like, did they know that he was going to volunteer, uh, or, or did they, or was the plan that someone was always just going to drive a bait car, basically? Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's probably that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was probably it was always going to be just a bait car. I think that makes the most sense. They were just like, oh, okay, well now we got this guy. Why not? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a little bit puzzled how uh, I think it's Wes he gets hit with. The, uh, the crossbow but then he yeah, he puts that arrow back into an empty slot on his own costume and I was like wait that that like how did he get hit by that it's like hmm. where did that missing arrow go like, wait at the beginning yeah it's like he like there's I think two. he accidentally shoots himself uh, okay <laughs> then, then I was just like well how did he shoot himself with? I think gotcha. yeah no I thought it's two cars on the opposite and he, like he shoots and then Max breaks and so it goes across yeah, so it's like another teammate shoots him with a crossbow. Yeah, now, yeah, okay, now I'm confused. Yeah, that's just a small. As, you know, they're in the <laughs> desert. It's hot. You know? He doesn't get shot intentionally. Yeah. Yes. Correct. <laughs> yeah, it's just a very small thing amongst a masterpiece of a movie that is just. Yeah, I don't know. Pretty airtight. Pretty like flawless. I don't. Yeah, there's not much I have to really criticize about it. I don't, even when I say it feels like it is quote unquote a slow towards the end. I think I appreciate those moments like Max grabbing rattlesnakes and shit and you know hiking yeah. back with all this gas on his back I mean, all this the stuff. gyro captain throwing a <laughs> rattlesnake <laughs> on someone i love it that's narrative economy use that snake we have that snake yeah. <laughs> we need to use it for a good purpose i had something and i just totally forgot well yeah also uh yeah him walking around with a unloaded shotgun for the first portion of the yes, movie and finding out it's a trick <laughs> yeah He's a survivor. He's yeah. doing what he's got to do. Fucking badass. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the way he's just like, oh, that's that's very rude. Um, is that all for? Um, I also just need to. I I, I want to point out there's a nice little comedic moment where they're having this like game of telephone where they're trying to communicate to the leader and they're. It's like this one oh, is yeah. the one little comedic moment of the movie where they're like, "How long is it going to take to finish?" And he like explains this large like auto jargon, and he's like, "Well, what does that mean?" It's like it's going to take twenty four hours, and he's like, "Well, you have 12. And, uh, it's like the back and forth is is really nice, and it gives us a nice little little moment of brevity in, in, amongst the 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 pillaging and, and the violence. 
Yeah, probably the only comedic moment. I guess you can <laughs> you can get a little bit of comedy out of like people chasing chickens around and stuff, but yeah, pretty much that is like the only joke of the movie. Um, so yeah, shout out to <laughs> the only joke in the movie. I'm happy you survived. You made yeah. it. Um, and it becomes memorable because it is the only. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also the guy that delivers is like sort of looks like he he might be toothless, <laughs> so I think it, it just helps. Does Max ever successfully fire his gun? Um, I don't think so. No, yeah, because he gives, he has the dud. I'm trying to remember, yeah, and yeah. then later on, he drops the shells. He drops the shells, manages to get one back in, but then still never fires it. Okay. Yeah. Which might be uh, the most uh, the longest <laughs> Chekhov's gun in a movie. Yeah. Like, Chekhov's gun is never going off. <laughs> like, you've been looking at the wrong things if you thought that was the gun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and also, you mentioned restraint. I think that's also a really nice way to look at that, too, because, yeah, it's like in an, a movie where our main character's most iconic weapon never gets fired is another, like, I don't know. I, I, there's just so many, like, little cool, little small things about this that you make makes you appreciate the project as a whole. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm like double checking. I'm like, does it get shot? <laughs> like, I don't think it does. Questions right. like that that make you return to the movie. I guess I gotta rewatch <laughs> like, it. Yeah, I gotta rewatch this thing. It's yeah. like, why are we watching it this time? It's like, I need to. <laughs> just I pay just attention gotta to watch this gun. Uh, one thing about this movie, there's this YouTube account called Audiobooks for the Damned, okay. and they have, I don't know who this person is, but uh, they're just collecting. Um, novelizations of movies ah, okay. and recording themselves reading these books and putting them on YouTube and so there is a novelization of uh, The Road Warrior and it sucks <laughs> <laughs> like it is not a good book like it it is the first time I've really encountered like I, like I've seen people complain about this all the time like men writing women how they're they're like yeah. oh she was really strong but you could fuck her she yeah. was totally fuckable <laughs> like they have to like point in like she was stacked yeah she was yeah. ten <laughs> um it like completely does that with like the warrior woman like oh she was strong and but she like had supple breasts or something <laughs> it's like, like it's got it's got to go into some weird commentary where it's like I don't know if that was the point of the character yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like what's going on yeah um That's but yeah if you are curious to check out audiobooks for the damned i'm sure it's not a not a very long one so. audiobooks for the damned i really appreciate yeah. that uh if you search it if you want to specifically find the road warrior one it's uh a b f t d <laughs> audiobooks for the damned number 25 okay um it's not called I, I think you could probably just search mad max novelization it'll come up but i think they do like tricky titles to avoid like copyright issues gotcha um but yeah i'm looking at it right now it's only a little over three hours oh that's not bad yeah i was listening to it when i was working once and like i got so fed up with that writing <laughs> i was like i have to turn this off this is just embarrassing like that's awesome yeah. yeah. Also, I wanted to mention I watched this on HBO Max, and on HBO Max it is preceded by a Turner Classics movie. Sorry, Turner Classic Movies. Uh, Leonard Maltin? No, not Leonard Maltin. Oh, okay. I forget who the woman is. It's like an Australian uh, fashion person. But yeah, they're just basically talking about the fashion of Mad Max. It's called Turner Turner Classic Movies. Uh, follow the thread. And so yeah, if you're the kind of person that likes to get into more of like the production side of things, um, yeah, like this movie is really big on fashion and just like how people are dressed. That's a really big part about this, and they they give a little like four minute breakdown about like how the designer got inspiration from things, and it, it's cool. It's a nice little addition, and I wish streaming did way more of that. I think that would make yeah. me watch so many more movies. If I don't know, I think sometimes they put them at the end and they kind of tack them on but yeah if they sort of forced me to watch it at the beginning of like a little five minute clip that was in the beginning of the movie i'd be more likely to to get into it i don't i know that it's tough to do that and not always they, there's not always material worthwhile to really talk about for all these movies but i don't know i think for for this it definitely helped elevate the entire experience a little bit because yeah it's nice to give a little retrospective about the movie. that's really cool yeah. yeah, I watched this on the Blu-ray, and there's an option to have an introduction by Leonard Maltin. Ah. And he's basically like, 
yeah, Mad Max is really cool. <laughs> like, like it's got got a lot of driving in it. It's uh, it's great. And then, and then the movie plays. He doesn't really say anything too insightful. It's like, yeah, I know all this stuff. That's why I got the movie. Yeah. It's like we know why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's let's so just... enjoy. Buckle up and enjoy Mad Max Road Warrior. He's got a beer in his hand. Like, this movie's great. So yeah. So I think that might be it for Mad Max. Um, what have you been watching this week? God, what have I been watching this week? Oh, I finally finished Nathan for You. Oh, sweet. I had like three episodes sitting there waiting for the longest time because I can never watch it when Emily's around because she gets so uncomfortable she has to leave the room. <laughs> and uh, and I enjoy spending time with Emily, so I haven't watched the show. <laughs> Got compromised. Um, but yeah, I had a Saturday with nothing to do. Um, so I was like, I'm just gonna fucking binge these last three episodes. This is the last one is an hour and a half. Um, yeah. And Nathan Fielder's just a fucking genius. Like I, we said in the last episode, but he, he, it, it's incredible. Like he's like the whole thing with the escort. I didn't know that was gonna happen. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't know yeah, he finding... was gonna hi- hire an escort <laughs> multiple times just to hang out with. Uh, yeah. I think it's really interesting that she allowed herself to be on camera. Um, I hope I hope she's doing okay because of that. But uh, yeah, what were you gonna say? Sorry, I cut you. Yeah, off. Finding Francis is a trip. It's absolutely an insane thing from beginning to end. Um, yeah, I was gonna talk about the rehearsal because that also came out on. Sunday. I haven't watched it yet. I'm I'm hold, holding on to it until we can get the whole family together to gather around. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I will say there. So towards the end of finding francis when they have basically there's i won't spoil it entirely but yeah there's a portion at the end of finding francis that is essentially very integral to what nathan is doing in the rehearsal or uh oh, oh, oh. yeah i'm assuming it's the yeah so finding francis what this episode is for those who don't know um nathan fielder during one of the previous episodes he hired a bill gates impersonator to help promote a, a store um, he got to talking with this Bill Gates impersonator, and the man uh, mentioned that there was this woman, Francis, I think it's Francis Gaddy, yep. who he fell in love with like way back in the day, 50 years prior, and he should have married her. He, he didn't marry her. It was like there was some drama with their families. They didn't want them to do it. Um, and he's been full of regret since he has no idea what happened to her. And he keeps coming around Nathan Fielder's office, bringing gifts for people. And every once in a while, Francis Gaddy comes up again. So Nathan gets the idea. I'm going to help you find this woman. We're going to, uh, you know, search all over the internet. We're going to go to your hometown. We're going to try and get yearbooks from your school. They won't let us get yearbooks. So we have to pretend that we're making a production of Mud 2, <laughs> a sequel to Mud that was shot at the high school. Have so to that we can get. <laughs> yeah, we have to heist these yearbooks. Um, and we're going to see if we can get in touch with some of her old classmates. We're going to create a fake high school reunion just so that we can lure some people here to hopefully, who hopefully know something. Uh, all sorts of schemes. And. For a good chunk of this, I was like, "What is this guy even telling the truth? Like, does Francis Gaddy exist? Yeah. Um, once you get a photo of her, it's like... Go, go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say, yeah, it's like, is this guy a stalker? Like, does he... Yeah. Is, like, is this any of this real? Like, is... is this just, like, a story he has? Um, and, like, the show even kind of deals with that, too. It's like, we know he's telling the truth, but to what extent is he telling the truth about the nature of their relationship? Was it a good relationship? Why did it end? Uh, is it really because their family is, like what's going on here yeah spoilers um, at one point um letters show up and once the letters get involved you get a like a yeah. very good depiction of Lots one side of, yeah one side yeah. of the relationship gets colored in way more and it's just i don't know it's an incredible show it's incredible the way that it feels like this journey especially one part of it that i think you were alluding to earlier is very therapeutic for this man and it helps this man gain some perspective uh yeah it is it's fucking beautiful i was i reached out to a buddy of mine was talking about it and he said he cried when he watched it oh yeah uh, definitely it's very moving um, yeah i can believe it but yeah so that's that's really all i've watched this week <laughs> I, I have not been watching much sweet well i'm looking forward to when you watch the rehearsal because it's mm-hmm. 
it is all of that, but just it's just everything you could want with a Nathan Fielder show. Yeah. Uh, what have you been watching? So I've been watching a lot of stuff. Our friend of the show, Trunks, he's getting married. So yeah, he had a bachelor's party, a little bachelor party weekend over this weekend. So I went down to San Diego and saw a lot of friends I went to film school with. And yeah, there's a lot of movie talk, a lot of lot of talk about movies to the point where it's kind of a blur. And I'm trying to, <laughs> to remember exactly what was said and what was watched. At one point, we, a lot of movies were watched on Sunday night. Um, our friend Joe, he rented out the theater for Thor 4, so, uh, so we all saw Thor Love and Thunder together, like 20 guys, just like in a, like a theater by itself. So yeah, I, I think Thor is a fun movie. I don't know if that was because we were chanting Thor, Thor, Thor multiple times throughout the movie, or, but I think it's a good time. There's a lot of good visuals in it. Christian Bale's fun. He's a little bit underutilized, but overall, I think it's, it's a solid movie. I think... A lot of people agreed that we think that the ratings and everything that we got were a lot lower than what we all thought. We were all like, yeah, that movie was a lot more fun than I think the circumstances you saw it in were very special, though. I think if this more people saw it under those circumstances, perhaps those those ratings would have been bumped up a little higher. Yeah, there's, I think, the movie... Um, uh, there's, like, the movie where, like, if you die in the video game, you die for real. I think it's called, uh, like... like not get out. I want to. I was gonna say get out, but it's not get out. I think it's called Stay Alive. It has Frankie Muniz in it. Like I remember in high school, me and yeah, some, it is. me and some friends saw that, and it was literally it was just four of us in the theater, and that was like one of the most fun experiences ever. Because yeah, it's just four bros in a theater just screaming at a, a large screen every time something dumb happens. And so for Thor, yeah, we were able to kind of be as loud as we wanted to. So I think that definitely yeah. elevated the experience a lot. But I will still say I think the visual is very visually driven. It's getting criticized for having bad CGI, which I I feel like, yeah, there are some parts where it does feel kind of weak. I think there is not as noticeable like in Multiverse of Madness where there's like a scene happening and it's like, okay, this feels like this is just taking place in a large green screen area. There's some parts in Love and Thunder where Jane is clearly not wearing an actual helmet. It's like an entirely digital helmet that's yeah. been like sort of video gamed on there and it's kind of shaky. So those that's the only part that was sort of distracting to me. But I still, I don't know, every time Christian Bale is on screen, I think it's awesome. Once we get to the midpoint and you go to that like black and white planet, all of the stuff that takes place there is, is really cool. So yeah, I think there's a little bit of a bias, but I don't know, I think it's still pretty solid. So the comedy was okay? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't as distracting. Yeah, okay. maybe. Yeah, like I say, you are correct. Particular circumstances for that movie. Um, so yeah, enjoyed watching that. Um, also, amongst all of that uh, movie talk, since we're just talking about all these fucking movies of recent, Morbius came up quite a bit. Oh, boy. And so oh I, yeah, I saw so, that on your Instagram story. Yeah, so I watched Morbius last night. And that is a movie that is as bad as it looks. Oh, <laughs> it's wow. like, it isn't like even like, oh, so bad is good kind of thing. But I was looking on the Wikipedia page and it's turned a profit. I didn't think it would actually be like, had turned a profit, but it did. And you I, heard they re-released it in theaters briefly, right? No, I didn't know about that. <laughs> Supposedly some fans, like some <laughs> quote unquote fans, like people, jokesters started like a petition or Bunch some of sort of fielders. online movement. <laughs> Being like, we got to get Morpheus back in theaters, and then Sony or whoever was like, "Oh yeah, we've heard, we've heard your prayers. We're here to answer them." And then no one saw it. Like, <laughs> like made like twenty bucks. Yeah, like, is this being memed into being a successful movie? Like, is this the instance of yeah. the internet? But but like, it made a profit. Like, I think, like, do you? Do you think? But that... I think that's just—it's just a lot of like dumb like parents being like, I don't know, whatever. I'll take my kids to see this superhero movie. Yeah, I I agree with that. But do you think that Sony will still look at the metrics purely at the numbers and and be like, well, okay, like we it only cost seventy five or eighty to make, and it made one sixty. Therefore, the numbers say we should make an, another one. Do you think they're that? gonna bring Morbius into the next Venom? This is my guess. They're <laughs> gonna bring Morbius into the next Venom movie try and build some goodwill there and then maybe do like a Morbius crossover movie with some other character. I know they're doing uh, fucking I don't know, aren't they doing a Kraven the Hunter movie? I think so. Yeah. And then some other character with um, Bad Bunny is going to be playing someone. (laughs) Something. Either way, I say all that to basically say like, even with like 
a little bit of THC involved and a lot of memes involved, it's still like a muddy, bad superhero movie. It's like, it feels very, like, no pun intended, it feels kind of toothless. There's not a lot of, like, vampire Damn. stuff. Put that on the fucking Ooh. Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> put that on, put that in your letter box and smoke yeah. it. Um, fucking, yeah, it feels kind of toothless. It has the same thing where your villain is just your uh, hero's best friend who just turns evil, has the same exact power, so the, mm-hmm. they just do the exact yeah. same thing. And, yeah, it's like, you have, like, these post-credit scenes where, yeah, the sky's breaking open, like, the mold, and it's just like, I don't really, it's like, how am I supposed to care or even know what's yeah. what's happening? It's just a fucking mess. And so, yeah, that's one where, even if I did see that in a group setting, I still feel like I would have walked away being kind of frustrated and really confused about why. <laughs> yeah. why Nothing this, could <laughs> save Morbius. Yeah, even with the memes and everything, yeah. it doesn't feel the like The power of your 20 friends <laughs> in good. theater together. Yeah, the power of the uh, the theater experience is, is very real, though. Um, but yeah, uh, also just want to mention, in Better Call Saul, our character Jimmy McGill has finally made the tra- the transition to Saul Goodman. It has finally happened, and oh my goodness, was it painful and like not a fun thing to witness on screen? Uh, and it was not a you weren't pumping your fist. Yeah, cheering. <laughs> it's, it's like now that we're here, it's just even on Reddit, everyone's like, like I just want to go back to season one and season two, where <laughs> really? it was much more brightly lit. There was like, it's more of like a lawyer show. Yeah, now it's just his entire life is just broken and destroyed. Yeah. And yeah, it, I think this show. I, I'm going to keep bringing it up and keep giving it my own personal vague zone accolades because I hope it gets the actual trophies on Emmy night. I really would appreciate that. Just do you the, think it's better than Breaking Bad? Yes, I do think it's better than Breaking Bad. Do you think you're saying that out of recency bias? <laughs> yeah, I think I would. There's a little bit of a recency bias. I try to be as honest as possible. Like, I do think there's some recency bias. Um, yeah, Breaking Bad, I feel, is very good. Um, it also has those kind of seasons where there's a, a kind of a, a relationship happening, but then that relationship might break down or the situation might change to where, like, oh, yeah, like, uh, Walter starting out, Walt starting out in the beginning is a little bit more fun in season one as opposed to by the time you're season five, yeah. it's like everybody hates each other, a lot of people are dead, it becomes a much more morose, sad kind of thing towards the end. And it's happening in Better Call Saul, but with this, it's like you get a really fun TV show, a very bright kind of, it's a lawyer comedy kind of thing, and then it turns into Breaking Bad by the end of it. And so, I don't know, I think you get a little, a lot more to chew on. And a lot, I don't know. I've got so much TV ahead of me. <laughs> the reason I've never started that show is because I was like, can I sit down and commit to this? <laughs> like, what, am I okay with losing my life to this <laughs> for the next few weeks? Yeah, and I say it's uh, tough because, like I said, on this show, even I, like, I started it, got a midway through an episode, and I was just so bored, I just couldn't finish it, and then... Yeah, years went by, and I kind of revisited and was able to soldier through. And I, you don't have to force yourself. You don't have to force yourself to watch it by any means. Like there's a lot of stuff out there. I know it's gonna sink its teeth into me. Yeah, it is. It is so. I'm not gonna have a choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Bob is just fantastic. He's he's just absolutely killing it on the show. So yeah, that's great. And also, I last thing um, this week. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jesus and Miro. There's in the news, so they're a late night duo. They started off on Twitter, kind of just talking shit to each other. Then they, uh, yeah, for those who don't know, they were two guys. Yeah, they started on Twitter, kind of just talking shit, making jokes. They knew each other in the past, and then they sort of got together and started like making a podcast. And then that podcast started to become filmed. And then once they started filming it, they got in touch with MTV2. And after MTV2, they got promoted to Viceland, and on Viceland, their show really took off and was really popular. This was around the time Action Bronson's uh, Fuck, Fuck That's Delicious was also kind of big, so Viceland was just really doing great for a minute, and then there was like some money disputes because they wanted more money from Viceland, and Viceland didn't want to pay them, so they went to Showtime, and so once they got to Showtime, it's like they started interviewing like Bernie Sanders and Denzel Washington and President Obama and so they they literally went from like Twitter to interviewing like the president and like I think their interview with Denzel Washington is one of the best Denzel Washington interviews out there because he 
lets his guard down and like you actually get to see a different side of this person even though he's this prestigious actor and been in Macbeth and you know been in hundreds of movies it's like you get to see him talking about train lines in New York and talking about like oh yeah it's like you know there wasn't always a Walgreens on that corner and shit like that you can see like Denzel Washington talking like just like a black uncle and it's fucking awesome (laughs) yeah it's like an actual human it's fucking awesome and so I, I love Jesus and Miro and I love their ability to sort of let actors get to that sort of more human version for interviews and I, I, I think they were doing something really special for being one of the few like black voices on late night in a place where people can go and sort of have a much more honest interaction and like not just talk about the movie that they're promoting or something like that and I know you talked about feeling very connected to everything everywhere all at once because mm-hmm. of uh, I forget the actor's name. Um, Wayne, uh, Ki Hui Kwan? Yeah, Ki Hui Kwan. And so, yeah, it's like I sort of have that same kind of emotional connection to these two guys because, like, I was a huge fan of, like, Conan O'Brien coming up. And, like, I just love Late Night and I love that format. It is a secret of mine that I would love to have my own late night yeah. talk show. That's, like, a, pr- a fucking dream of mine. And so to see them do it at the highest level was always something I really admired and something that really inspired me and so the fact that not only is their show canceled they sort of broke up as a as a duo <laughs> really fucking sucks and so i hope they can hash it out squash the beef get back together in the future squash but the beef hope boys they can, hope they can squash the beef smoke smoke <laughs> a blunt and figure it out talk it out there's one thing i want you to take away from listening to the show <laughs> squash that just, beef just squash the beef because yeah we need more black voices in late night is so you don't need another seven jimmies hosting shows across yes, you know across every station shout out to samantha b you know shout you know you need more people shout out to sam J. you know like a lot of these voices are like awesome and I would really appreciate more of them and Samantha B isn't black but I think it's still dope she has, <laughs> she has a late night talk she's show she's a woman on television yeah. <laughs> like she's fucking amongst dope. a sea of white dudes yeah. yeah yeah and I think yeah that's another thing that's kind of a source of pride for us for you know starting this and being like hey like there's a lot of podcasts out there about movies but we're you know trying to represent our our viewpoints a little bit more and so shout out yeah. to Jesus and Miro I'm sad to see them go you'll be greatly missed um i did think of one other thing i watched uh speaking of a comedic duo <laughs> yeah. i watched beavis and butthead do the universe Ooh. <laughs> uh, on paramount i think it's on paramount yeah um and it was pretty like okay first half really strong really great i was like yes these characters are being used perfectly like Mike Judge you've done it again like uh, you know every once in a while I think perhaps Beavis and Butthead are stupid cultural icons like why 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 was that a thing and then it's like oh no the, the, the comedy comes out of putting these idiots into different situations and seeing how they collide with those situations um, yes. so yeah first half very strong by the second half that kind of like loses its steam a little bit you know we've been on this journey with these characters for quite a while um and their antics are kind of losing their charm um <laughs> but still i think it is a worthy watch um yeah it's just it's just two guys who want to score that's all it is. <laughs> they just want to score. <laughs> want to score so bad uh, god bless them yeah i remember not being into it not being into the the whole shtick but then i saw some clips recently and it was just them making fun of bands and i was like okay now i think i found my re-entry point into this because them just making fun of like radiohead or like just (laughs) calling them lame for very specific reasons it's just that just made me so happy so that is the that is the unfortunate thing about like streaming and the preservation of this media is that like the best part of Beavis and Butthead when it was a show was them talking about the music videos. Yeah. And, like, it is cross-cut with, like, a little, you know, cartoon sitcom. And, like, the sitcom stuff just wasn't as good. It just wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, like, hearing these dudes doing, like, the mystery science theater thing on... Yeah, yeah. And, like, completely dismantling these, these like, rock star aesthetic of all of these, you know, musicians who took themselves way too fucking seriously. Like that was what was really fucking special and cool about it and 
because of all these rights issues of all these different record labels owning yeah, music and stuff tough. you can't get that shit out there anymore you have to pirate it <laughs> yeah like that golden era is gone but yeah like i think there was one where they're like making fun of beck and they're like calling him like a homeless guy or something i was just like this is my favorite artist of all time <laughs> you guys yeah. just nailed it on the head perfectly or like when they're watching something that's super fucking lame and yeah. they're like this is cool yeah. <laughs> like, it's like oh okay cool it's like it's gonna get good for a second but then it's gonna go back to being shit <laughs> yeah. yeah that's awesome yeah. all right i think that wraps things up for this week's app. Yeah, so that's almost it for 94. I don't know what we're watching for my detour. I'm right. going to be, I know I'm going to be living in South Korea by the next time we record, so I'm going to have to figure something out in the <laughs> between now and then. Are you planning on seeing Nope before I, next week? I know it's kind of tight timing. Yeah, uh, if anything, I might have to just sneak away to get a, like, a screening on like a Saturday night or something. Friday night or Saturday night. It's it's going to be tough. I want to leave Friday open for more social stuff, but yeah. I do. I do really want to see you note know. because I'm. I'm probably going to see it Monday. So okay. if if we want to talk about that, um, or maybe we want to, you know, do a tie something in Mad Max. I don't know. Yeah. If not, totally I, your call. Totally I'll, I'll leave that. <laughs> I'll leave that as a possibility because I do really want to see it, and also I am trying to see it over here because if it's not available in Korea that's gonna yeah I'm gonna be very sad because that also happened last year when I moved over there and I moved over in July and I wanted to see Candyman but I couldn't see Candyman Uh, and I was like fuck I want to see this movie and so yeah finally got to see it it's okay but yeah Yeah. (laughs) I was very very sad so I'm gonna have to see Nope before I leave this this nation we'll figure out what that next movie might be if it is not nope yes this has been episode 94 if you would like to contact us you can email us vaguezonepod at gmail.com if you have questions comments concerns or movie franchise suggestions please let us know i will watch anything i'm about to leave the country i'm going to be alone in a room with a laptop so send me links send me anything i'll watch it i promise you um yeah you can tweet at us at vaguezone we're always on there talking about the latest TV releases and stuff, so yeah, keep up to date with Vague Zone through there, and we will always appreciate you. Yeah, yeah this has been 94. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. We'll catch you next on the next one. Oh.